Hello and welcome to Eureka Nerd. I'm Will Davis. And I'm Leah Richards. And, and we are back. Yay. Oh, like we never even left, apart from that month and a half where we did leave. We've been busy. It's been busy. Very busy. We had a holiday that was less, well, actually it was quite... Yeah, the holiday was busier than most of the being at home time, but at least it was busyness doing nice things. Nice things. Tall things. Hey, guys, Paris has got some impressive architecture. One very impressive bit right in the middle. I was not expecting to be so impressed by the Eiffel Tower, but it's it's bigger than any of the pictures make it look. I'm wondering if it's like the moon. It was like that thing from the 2016 Ig Nobel Prize, where if you look at it between your legs, it looks even bigger. Is that also like the moon? Did they cover the moon on that one? Because that's a known, like, optical illusion. Well, we'll just have to go back and have a look at it between our legs on a moonlit night. I'm ready when you are. Moonlight in Paris, the Eiffel Tower. We're both looking between our legs at a building. Anyway, we've got some science news to talk about. It's not the newest news. We realised the Ig Nobel Prizes were awarded a few weeks ago. But it is, if anything, the best news of the year. It's really what we've been waiting for ever since we covered last year's Ig Nobel Prizes. I think last year's Ig Nobel Prizes set a very high bar for which all future categories should be judged. So let's waste no more time and get on with this year's Ig Nobel Prize winning submissions, beginning with the Physics Prize. This awarded to Marc-Antoine Fardin or Fardin? Probably Fardin. Let's go with Fardin. We have just been to France, so we should pretend we understand the language at all for at least another few days, yeah. For using fluid dynamics to probe the question, can a cat be both a solid and a liquid? The paper being on the rheology of cats. Published in the Rheology Bulletin in 2014. And he starts off with the great exclamation of everything flows. Should I do a French accent for this? No, because Heraclitus was Greek. Okay, so imagine a French person doing a Greek accent. And then imagine me doing it, because I'm not going to try. That's better. This famous aphorism used to characterise Heraclitus' thought is also the motto of rheology. Everything flows and nothing abides, everything gives way and nothing stays fixed. You know that thing that people say about glass, and that it's really liquid, and if you look at old window panes, they're thicker at the bottom. Old window panes are thicker at the bottom because we weren't as good at making glass yet, and it makes sense to put the thicker part of your pane in the bottom of the window. I'm sorry, guys, that is not a fact. You mean that conversation I overheard in a corridor in school wasn't telling the truth? I'm sorry to say. And I don't know what to believe. However, cats... I can believe in cats. That I can do. So, cats. Do they flow? Now, you've probably seen the pictures of cats happily occupying bowls and balls and just about any container they can fit themselves into. Indeed, if you head onto YouTube and search for Cat in Box, you will find so many videos. We do love a bit of Maru in our life, but is Maru a liquid? Well, to quote from Marc-Antoine Fadan a little bit later on in the introduction, Solid is a state in which matter maintains fixed volume and shape. It doesn't sound like a cat to me. Liquid is a state in which matter maintains a fixed volume but adapts to the shape of its container sounding more like a cat, and gas is a state in which matter expands to occupy whatever volume is available. I don't know about you, but I've never met a cat that expands to fill any space you put it in, but I have met cats that will drop themselves into a bowl or box in a way that looks pretty liquidy. Following these common-sense definitions, a meta-study, Cats Are Liquids, was recently published on BoardPanda.com. I propose here to check if the panda's claim 
that cats are liquids is solid. I feel like he's mixing his terms a little bit there. I mean, a solid claim, I think, is a fair use of words. But not a solid cat. That's what this piece of research was investigating. I like the suggestion that the panda of the name Bored Panda is the guy hitting all the buttons. One panda at a desk. It's one panda operating this website. Very bored panda. So thanks to them for bringing Marc-Antoine Fardin to rheology and bringing that physics prize into his investigation to us here today. On the Peace Prize front, however, again, another very prestigious prize, this one is shared between Switzerland, Canada, the Netherlands, and the USA, a multinational team for demonstrating that regular playing of a didgeridoo is an effective treatment for obstructive sleep apnea and snoring. Now, it is important to note that the first author listed here, Alex Suarez, is himself a didgeridoo devotee, and it was his initial suggestion into sleep apnea curative practice that led to everyone else thinking, well, maybe if they didgeridoo don't do that, they'll be didgeridooing better. I can't believe you've just said those words. So do you think your mum would be more or less frustrated with your dad on the day-to-day if he was regularly playing the didgeridoo in addition to using his CPAP machine at night? I'm not sure which would make the more noise, a CPAP machine whirring and clicking away off my dad is hopefully breathing through the process, or just sat there trying to watch Coronation Street and bow wow 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 which he would probably do with his mouth anyway. <laughs> Is there a placebo effect where if someone makes the noise of a didgeridoo that it has the same beneficial practice as an actual didgeridoo session? I mean, who knows? The placebo effect can be very powerful. I think probably my dad would take playing the didgeridoo as a great opportunity to take some small revenge on my mum for stressing him out with the spinning wheel. But she can take her hearing aids out. She can take her hearing aids out. I'm going to suggest it. <laughs> can tell that it's backed by science as well. Hey, Dad, I know you listen. Try a didgeridoo. Should we get your dad a didgeridoo for Christmas? Uh, we should not get him a didgeridoo for Christmas. But, Dad, if you want to try a didgeridoo to help with the waking mum up by stopping breathing in the middle of the night, that's an option. This research, as wacky as it sounds, does have some scientific grounding that, in the randomised controlled trial, of having some people playing the didgeridoo on a regular basis and some people not playing the didgeridoo in an effort to control their sleep apnea. Four months of training of the upper airways by didgeridoo playing reduces daytime sleepiness in people with snoring and obstructive sleep apnea syndrome. In addition, the partners of participants in the didgeridoo group were much less disturbed in their sleep. So there's a solution for you if your partner complains about your snoring and about your sleep apnea. Take up the didgeridoo. Didgeridoo done. Hey, we've been away for all this time. I have a lot of puns to fill the gap. I've been holding on to them. He says this as if he hasn't been punning as much as usual in day-to-day life. If a pun falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it. Anyway, moving on to the economics prize. This one shared between Matthew Rockloff and Nancy Greer from Australia and the USA, respectively, for their experiments to see how contact with a live crocodile affects a person's willingness to gamble. The title of this study is Never Smile at a Crocodile. Betting on electronic gaming machines is intensified by reptile-induced arousal. This year has been a very strange year by all accounts. Weird things happening on just every front, it seems. We have now reached the point where we come together and celebrate 
the research efforts of a pair of people who decided, upon looking at a crocodile, I wonder what happens if I give that to someone whilst they are gambling. Do they gamble more or less? Or does the crocodile take over? So, 62 men and 41 women visiting the Kurana Saltwater Crocodile Farm in Kuwonga, Australia, played a laptop-simulated electronic gaming machine either before going into the crocodile farm or after having held a one-metre-long saltwater crocodile. Now, I don't know a huge amount about saltwater crocodiles, but I believe when they're full-grown, they're really very big. So they've just handed someone a baby crocodile, then gone, okay, you've done the crocodile task, now play this slot machine. I am glad, though, that they got people gambling at the crocodile farm rather than going to a casino, standing outside and just giving people crocodiles before they went in. Like, you, you and you, please hold this gator. What they found is that gamblers who weren't so alarmed by carrying the crocodile placed higher average bets on the machine, while those who were upset about holding a crocodile in the way that you'd expect most of the population to be, placed lower than average bets. The results suggesting that high arousal, by this we mean... A neurologic activation. Yeah, rather than the other any kind. sort of excitement at the prospect. Any, so any positive excitement. That the high arousal can intensify gambling in at-risk players, but only if this state is not perceived as a negative emotion. So if you're like, yeah, I get to hold a crocodile, woo, you're going to gamble more? And if you're like, oh god, there's reptile that could eat my arm, then less gambling. Which makes sense, I guess, if someone's on that high adrenaline arousal state in themselves to think, yeah, I've held a crocodile, let's do this, then they will be all Billy Big Boy placing big boy bets. Whereas the people who are too busy trying to close the gambling simulation and open Skype or an email browser and contact the outside world for help because someone's just thrust a crocodile upon them, uh, might be somewhat distracted in their gambling. On the other hand, we might expect that being at a higher level of excitement of whatever kind on starting to gamble, you might just place higher bets anyway. The emotional component is of interest. Perhaps we should try combining this with last year's winner about the cocaine use. If we get people to gamble before and after having held a crocodile that has been given cocaine, what does that do to their gambling habits? The animal rights lobbies are going to be in touch with you for that suggestion. They can come and find me in Kawanga. Next up is the Anatomy Prize, awarded to James Heathcote of the UK for the medical research... Why do old men have big ears? Now, when we first looked at the list, I was like, I thought we knew, but this research is from 1995, so this is why we know. You know, these things do take a long time to come around. In this case, 22... Oh, wow, 22 years. Oh, God, we're old. A moment's silence. For our wasted youth. All the time we've spent not finding out why old men have big ears. I mean, I was, I was thinking about other things, but sure, that too. In fact, this groundbreaking research from 1995, we can't get to it right now because it's behind a paywall. Like, we love you all, 
deeply and desperately, but you're not worth the £37 it's going to cost me to buy a PDF. So we will, in fact, just relate a few of the submitted letters to the editor following on from this research, including someone complaining that a lifelong follow-up study of young people is needed. Maybe their ears were always big. And, hey, maybe they were, but also it is now a known fact that the connective tissue inside one's ears and nose tend to break down more as we get older and that there's a fairly strong correlation between especially the noses and heart disease. That's a whole thing. And then some cultural context. Letters asking if there's any correlation between age in Japan and the comment that there is an ancient belief in Chinese culture that the thickness of someone's ears indicates greater wealth presumably accrued over a longer life. I think it's a fairly safe thing to say that we would, on average, expect a wealthier person to have a longer life. This does lead on quite neatly from the Anatomy Prize to the Biology Prize to a team from Japan, Brazil and Switzerland who have discovered, or at least discovered in 2014, something of an anatomical outlier, the likes of which had never been seen before, a bug featuring females with a penis and males with a vagina? So this insect, Neotrogla socodia pyronoglarididae, I think I'm saying that right, seems to have evolved, isolated in a cave, and at some point during the evolution of this insect, the roles of male gamete deposition, by typically a penis and reception of the genetic material, has been switched so that the Females have developed a protrusion, which is inserted into the body of the males, who then deposit their gametes into the female's body. Something referred to as a gynosome, an intermittent organ. Now, much like the many terrifying varieties of penis that exist in the animal world, the gynosome features numerous spines that fit into specific pouches in a simple male genital chamber during prolonged copulation of 40 to 70 hours. I'm not sure all that detail's really necessary. But it is gross. This does seem to be a result of sexual selection in the species. If, you, if you've looked into the processes of evolution very much, you're probably aware that sexual selection is the driver behind some of the more out there forms in the animal kingdom. For example, Birds of Paradise would be a very good example. All of those, all of that fantastic plumage and mad dances is driven by what the females of each species think is sexy. And at some point in this isolated insect species, trends turned towards the gynosome. I wish them all the best of luck in this crazy mixed-up world are in, because if the anatomy prize has to go to big ears, then it's good that there is the biology prize for this research to get its fair due somewhere. I mean, I think that is one of the particularly good features of the Ig Nobels, is the flexibility of prize categories. Much like the next Fluid Dynamics prize, which you'd think could have gone to the cats, but instead goes to Jiwon Han on his study of coffee-spilling phenomena in low-impulse regime. Specifically, the dynamics of liquid sloshing to learn what happens when a person walks backwards while carrying a cup of coffee. How often do you have occasion to walk backwards while carrying a cup of coffee? Unless I'm dodging around something that is going to make me spill the coffee even more so, it's low chance but high risk 
so I understand the analysis for it. And also, shout out to Jiwon Han for being a high school student while he wrote the paper at the Korean Minjok Leadership Academy in Gangwon-do. Because when I was a high school student, I certainly wasn't winning any Nobel Prizes. I was, I was mostly playing bass guitar. And slap bass really hasn't gone me as far in life as I thought it would. So, well done to him. However, it turns out the walking backwards part might stop you from spilling your drinks. There is a problem of harmonics with trying to walk anywhere while holding a typically sized mug of coffee. I find actually when doing a tea run at work, it's the bigger mugs that are the issue. I think I've got a longer stride than is typical. Maybe you're right around that kind of harmonic resonance, but match with your longer stride. Yes. We're maybe talking about a slightly lower oscillation. We'll have to do our own research. But nonetheless, the reason some of us have endless trouble spilling drinks is because it's because of harmonics and rhythm, basically. There is some actionable data to be taken forwards from this research in that an alternate method to hold the cup has been suggested, and that extensive simulation studies reveal that the model, crude in its form, successfully embodies the essential facets of reality. So they've done some modelling of how this new coffee claw technique could reduce spilling. Maybe there'll be a product coming to market soon, the G1 Hand Certified Coffee Clasper. It's all very well, but is it going to help me with a tray? You'll just have to buy six. G1 Hand Coffee Claspers, TM, Inc. Registered trademark. Copyright. On to now, the Nutrition Prize, which seems very timely for us recording this right around Halloween. The first reports of human blood in the diet of the hairy-legged vampire bat. Three species of vampire bats rely on blood as their only food. Desmodus rotundus and Diamus jungii are considered less specialised, whereas Diphila echodata is frequently pointed out as a bird specialist. And the last of those three, echodata, lives in northeastern Brazil in what is described as a highly modified biome. And how is a bat to respond when there's less wild birds and more domestic animals around? Well, you change your food source, of course, to the people. <laughs> or at least that seems to be what is reported from using PCR amplification of DNA fragments in the feces of the echo data to detect regular consumption of chicken and human blood. Novel prey for this species. So if you ever are in northeastern Brazil and you feel something tickling at your neck in the night... It's more likely to nibble at your toes. And you're... Not so likely to feel it. I'm fairly sure they uh, have anaesthetic saliva. Okay, so if you're in northeastern Brazil, in the middle of the dark, cold night, and you don't feel something nibbling on your toes, it might very well be a vampire bat. Also, it might give you rabies. But um... Hopefully, if you've ended up in Brazil, you've had rabies jabs. I feel like that's a thing you should have if you're heading to the tropics at all. In case, speaking of medicine, on to the medicine prize, which I feel is going to maybe stir up some very close-to-the-heart topics for the both of us. Well, for you, more than me. The neural basis of disgust for cheese, an fMRI study, 
used advanced brain scanning technology to measure the extent to which some people are disgusted by cheese. Now, I do have in my very close family some people who are disgusted by cheese. My brother will not touch the stuff. I, however, would marry a cheese toasty. I would. I would put a ring on a cheese toasty's cheese toasty finger and make it my spouse before consuming it. Who am I to come between true love? That's all right. If I'm if I've consumed it, I'm a cheese toasty widow and I'm free to free to marry again. <laughs> that sounds very Dickensian. <laughs> Old widow cheesemonger. So it is highly likely then that when you are confronted with a cheese, you will not have activation within your internal and external globus pallidus and substantia nigra, belonging to the basal ganglia. Whatever that means, I'm not a neurologist. And that the and that the ventral pallidum, a core structure of the reward circuit, will not be deactivated in you, as opposed to its deactivation in the anti-cheese subjects when stimulated by cheese. So there you go. There's actually something in your brain which has endowed you this cheese lust. Is it something in my brain that's endowed me this cheese lust, or is it something in the cheese lust that has conferred this on my brain? Like, is this learned, or is this structural? It's not covered. We'll have to find out by eating lots of cheese until we get sick of it. As if I'll ever get sick of cheese. <laughs> I mean, you see how much cheese I eat, and I have not got sick of it yet, so bring it on. Bring on the Sultan. If we can get funding for some kind of long-term cheese-based research, then that would just be perfect. Speaking of brains, we're coming into the home stretch with the Cognition Prize to researchers from Italy, Spain, and the UK for demonstrating that many identical twins cannot tell themselves apart visually. Is that me or my twin lack of self-face recognition advantage in identical twins investigated the ability of monozygotic twins to di distinguish their own face from the face of their sibling and of a highly familiar individual? Results show twins equally recognise their own face and their twin's face. Which is something that I've never had to think about, because I don't have a twin, but the idea that if I was an identical twin confronted with someone who ha I've been told my entire life has the exact same face as me. Have I just expected that's what my face is? You probably spend more time looking at your identical sibling than you do looking at yourself in a mirror. So, yes, to tell a twin's face apart from their own face, apparently they have to rely on multisensory integration processes on which the bodily self is based, looking beyond just the face. Brains are weird. Twin brains are doubly weird. Twin brains are the same amount of weird, but twice as often. I mean, they've got, genetically speaking, the same brain. That's why they're so useful for doing science on, because you can really separate out the nature and nurture. So when, I think it was Commander Kelly, got back from his stint on the space station and met up with his twin brother who had been on Earth doing the same observations and experiments, did he manage to look at his brother in the face and go, you look old. You look like space. Potentially. Because if you're in space, you are fractionally younger than the amount of time spent on Earth. That makes me want to go to space more, I'm going to be honest. Well, from outer space 
to Inner Space with the Obstetrix Prize, the last prize of this year's ceremony, awarded to a Spanish group for something which has actually now worked well enough to make a marketable, patentable product. The development of the baby pod came from fetal facial expression in response to intravaginal music emission. That is to say, music played electromechanically inside the mother's vagina. As opposed to being played through a speaker placed on the mother's belly. Now, you've probably heard of the idea that playing children classical music makes them smarter. You've probably heard that playing music and talking to your baby while you are pregnant is a great way to get them kick-started on a bunch of developmental things. But what if you wanted to talk to and play music to your baby? I'm searching for a way that I can address the idea of putting a speaker anywhere inside my body. And this team has established that the most effective way of communicating this to your as-yet internal offspring is by sticking a speaker in your vagina. Fetuses who were played music via a speaker on their on their mother's belly reacted significantly less than ones who were played music through a speaker that was inserted into their mother's vagina. The way that they've measured the effectiveness of the speakers is via... IVM elicited mouthing and tongue expulsion, which is to say, is your baby making a face, so far as we can tell by doing a sonogram scan? So this has been developed into a product, the Baby Pod, which is a speaker, which you put up yourself and play music through for your child to enjoy. Some of the marketing for this mentions um, using it to talk to your baby, but it can hear me talking. If I were currently carrying a fetus inside my uterus it would be able to hear my voice as i was speaking to you all out there in the world now because much in the same way as i can hear my own voice a skeleton is is really effective at reverberating and carrying sounds down itself and seeing as the fetus is going to be stealing the calcium right out of your bones it's going to be sat there with its head resting up against my spine and its feet kicking my bladder. It's all good. Or the other way around. Both of those are options. If you are inclined to communicate very directly with your inner self, then you can buy one of these products. I've got a link in the podcast description. Uh, and you're welcome to have a go. Just don't tell us about it. I'm interested to know if anyone's actually done a properly controlled study about the advantage that using this confers, because I imagine there is a particular demographic of people who are going to buy it, and that is, you know those pushy sort of mums, those, oh yes, we're very proud of Hugo, he's very advanced, those guys, the ones who start their kids learning cello when they're six... So it'd be nice to have a controlled study, including maybe some, like, less completely middle-class parents. Come back in ten years. Tell us how your pod baby's doing. Is, does it actually help? Does spending money on this silicon-covered speaker and putting it in your vagina actually help? But that is it for the 2017 winners, who I'd like to say most of them made the effort to come and collect the awards either in person or via video. Well done them for doing the research and then coming out to celebrate their hard-won prize. Thanks for doing that good hard work about cats and ears and 
And whilst it might not be a Ig Nobel Prize, I feel like we should also give a special mention to the winner of the Occam's Rusty Razor Prize for baddest choices made available to Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop website, endorsers of vaginal eggs and holographic stickers to keep psychic vampires away. Basically, if you see that Goop is selling something, expect it to be pseudoscience at best. They claimed those holographic stickers were NASA tested and NASA were like, Mate, what? Nah. We haven't even heard of these. Who are you and why are you goopy? But that is all from us with our Ig Nobel Prize celebrations. It is good to be back. And we'll see you again next time for more of the science that we've missed out on, more of the science that you've missed out on. Until then, though, you can send us any thoughts at Eureka Nerdcast on Twitter or to EurekaNerdcast at gmail.com. That's EurekaNerdcast at gmail.com. And hey, tell us what you think of us being back. Leave us a review on iTunes. Help other people to find our truly insightful science reporting. Who else has this many crocodiles, cats, and the fluids therein? Who else has spent as long as we have talking about lobster guts? Or shrimp bags? Or just being confused about physics? Nano trample what now? Anyway, we'll have more for you next time, but until then, that's all from me. And all from me. Bye-bye.